Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. All right, one more thing we got to acknowledge today. Today, we're six years old. And so, look at the person next to you and say, Happy birthday. Because you are six years old, because you are the church, and so we are six years old together. And uh, here's the deal. Isaiah's uh, lighting these candles, and, you know, I was very festive, and I got us a chocolate donut. And uh, I need one of our elementary kids that wants to blow out the candles to come and help me. You're the first one I saw. How old are you, by the way? Oh, you're seven. I was thinking, if you're six, this is going to be amazing. You were just six, though. Get up here. Get up here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. All right. What's your name? Braylon. I love that. I love that. Braylon. All right. Come over here. All right. So I want you to make a I want you to make a wish for our church or a prayer. Are you ready? On the count of three, we're gonna count her down. She's gonna blow out our six candles. One, two, three. Come on. Yes. Here you go. You can have that. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, happy birthday. Thanks, Isaiah. Happy birthday, and we are uh, we're thankful for all that God has done over these last six years. It's been an amazing journey. It's, we're now the ripe old age of six, right? And uh, anyway, I do want to talk for a few minutes about 24-7, because um, tomorrow we do begin uh, another season of night and day prayer. And we're going to begin 21 days, hopefully, of non-stop prayer in our prayer room, and I'm excited, and I hope you are too. I'm excited because I don't, I don't like to do events. I don't like to do things that just are another thing to add to our calendar. I like to do things that I feel like if it's added to my calendar, it's actually going to, it's actually going to matter. It's actually for purpose. It's intentional, and I hope that that's how you feel about this, that this isn't just another thing that someone's asking you to participate in, but you see the hope and the opportunity inside of it to say, what if a church body leaned in together to nonstop prayer for the next 21 days as we charge towards Easter, praying for breakthrough, praying for salvations, to where God would do a deep work, not only in our church body, but, but in our city. And, uh, you know, we're going to be gathering on Easter Sunday, one, one gathering at next door in the Tower Theater and we, of course, did that last year for the first time after our first season of 24-7 prayer. And I believe this year is even going to be um, that much better. We're, we're now a year more mature and deeper into prayer, and I believe God's going to work. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share for just 10 minutes about some things on prayer, and then I'm going to shift gears, and we're going to go into a little uh, piece of a message around, uh, around Jesus because we are in a Jesus series. Um, um, but prayer is about Jesus, of course. So, uh, yeah, here we go. So I want to show you three Three pictures to hopefully sort of help us capture the thought around 24-7 prayer, hopefully even get your heart and soul connected with what God is doing in it. And so the first one is just simply this quote that I've said a few times over the past months. We don't pray because we're into prayer. We pray because we're into Jesus. Anybody agree with that? Amen? And we're almost a year deep into teaching about Jesus. And if there's anything I've learned or anything that I've gathered from Jesus and the life of Jesus is that Jesus was totally into prayer. Jesus is all about prayer. Jesus was constantly leaning into prayer. And you remember the scene. It was a critical scene. And when the disciples looked at Jesus, it was an instrumental moment in the life of the disciples. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. 
teach us to pray because they had seen the ministry of Jesus and the power of Jesus, but they saw this dependency that Jesus had on prayer. And they never asked him how to do anything else, but they said, would you teach us to pray, Jesus? And so he did. And last, and, and, you know, I, I, we, I, don't think, I don't believe we can claim to be a follower of Jesus and not want to grow in our prayer life. I just don't believe it. Following Jesus should result in us wanting to pray. Last week, I, uh, someone who's a follower of Jesus said to me, not in this church, I, I'm, I'm not really a prayer. I don't, I, don't, I don't pray much. And I just thought to myself, you know, that's got to change. If you love Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then you should love to pray. You should at least want to want to pray. And so for us, we don't pray because we're just trying to do more spiritual activity. We pray because we're into Jesus. And I hope that as you, as a follower of Jesus, says, because I love Jesus, I want to love to pray. I want to love to pray. And this is an opportunity for me to step in a little deeper. Next picture I want to show you. It just simply says this, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. That simple prayer has been prayed for people, by people for centuries. In fact, some of the stories of revival and some of the great movements of God throughout the world, this prayer, those simple words, have been the centerpiece, if you will, of what has launched those movements and those moments, if you will, and outpourings of God's love around the world. And perhaps, perhaps what I'm saying is this should be our prayer. And at the center of our prayers the next number of weeks could because for you, maybe, maybe you're saying, yeah, I need the Holy Spirit to come. You know, this, about a year ago, we launched this, and we said, hey, what if we prayed for more, more of the Spirit, for the Spirit to come on us like fire, more salvations, more healings, more breakthrough. And I believe God's answered a lot of our prayers. Does anyone agree with that? God has been answering. He's been hearing our prayers and answering our prayers. And I think now we can even get more holistic. Do we want more of that? Yeah, but I think essentially what we're saying is we just want more of God, don't we? We want more of the Lord in our life. We want more of him in our life. We want more of his Spirit coming in. We want his kingdom come in our city. We want his will done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want. And so this year we're saying, can we just pray for that? Come Holy Spirit, come. Can we pray for more of the Lord in our life? Amen. And so we're inviting you into that vision, that hope, that picture that we would ask for more of God. And I'm aware, I'm aware that many of us want more of God, but our lives just aren't there. You know what I mean by that? We're busy, we're always going, we always have something to do. So the idea of stopping to pray for an hour is a really great idea, but a difficult reality. Anybody with me now? <laughs> and I just want to encourage you. I believe breakthroughs coming for those who are willing to pray. And often we don't pray big enough or bold enough or consistent enough. We don't pray long enough or hard enough. And instead we pray weak prayers hoping that God will answer prayers that we don't even pray. Can I just say that God will not answer prayers that are never prayed? And you have a lot of desires in your heart that you're never even really praying long enough or hard enough about. You're like, man, I wish God would do this. Well, when's the last time you spent time on your knees for hours and hours and hours and saying, God, will you break through? Will I contend for breakthrough to the point that I'm willing to consistently knock at the door and ask? God typically doesn't answer prayers that aren't prayed. There's a story of the disciples in Matthew 26, and I, I know I'm referencing things that I've referenced before, but we gotta, these moments are so significant. When he goes to the garden and he prays, right, and he asks a few of his disciples to come with him, and he's pouring his heart out in prayer to the Father, 
And he asks his disciples to pray, to keep watch and pray, and he comes back and he finds them sleeping. And he says this, this is what he says. He says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Isn't it interesting that we're praying for one hour too? He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Could you not keep watch and pray with me for one hour? So you won't fall into temptation but because the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think many would agree with that, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I feel like it's time for us to lean in, not into what the flesh says we need to do all the time. You need to do more work. You need to get that done. You're too busy with that. It's time to lean into what the spirit really wants. Because your spirit, the thing that's in you, it longs for prayer. It longs for intimacy with the Father. So, yes, I am making kind of one last hopeful push, if you will. Um, well, I'll say last. I'll probably say this again next week. but um, At least before we officially begin. But it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a push to guilt anybody into anything. If you don't feel led to do this, you don't feel like the Spirit is leading you to do it, I'm not going to get in the way of that. It's a hopeful invitation, though, because I believe some need to be sort of pulled across the line, if you will. Um, some say they're too busy or my family life doesn't allow it. We have a mom that comes into this room several times a week with a baby on her hip and sits in that prayer room. We have families that have shown up with all their kids, gathered in that prayer room. It was chaos, but it worked. And God did something in that time. We have people who have others watch their kids so they can come pray. Uh, so if, what I'm saying is, or maybe it's, maybe it's other things for you. Maybe it's, like I said, busyness or, or, or priority or whatever. There's all these different things that we say. And I'm just saying this is an invitation. This is just an invitation of hope that God would do something in the commitment that you make to come and pray for an hour. Because when God, like in the scriptures, when we pray together, when people come together, God moves. By the way, if you're thinking, how do I pray for an hour? We do have this little thing. There's a card. It's a new card, so um, it's been updated, but it has some of the same things. It has our prayer wheel on it. It has a simple guide to prayer to help you pray for an hour. These are stacked up in the prayer room. Uh, by the way, the prayer room got a refresh. There's all blank paper if you haven't seen it. So it is ready for some new, new things, if you will. Uh, it's a blank tree and blank paper, just saying. Third image, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into an another part of the message, is this one. <laughs> Anybody remember this one? Raise your hand if you remember this picture. Yeah, a few of you, we, we showed this picture to you guys for the first time last year. Um, it was March 4th of last year when we when he introduced the vision of 24-7 prayer, and it's this picture of a wave. This is I've told this story a couple times. This is me a couple years ago off the Cape of South Africa surfing. It was really amazing. Um, but it was like the biggest wave I've ever hit. But um, <clears throat> anyway, um, this picture of this huge tidal wave, um, Christy was given an image about a vision about seven years ago in which she saw this wave that was building, it was a small building and it started getting a lot bigger and a lot bigger. And this wave was, of course, rep representative of the Spirit of God moving and a move of God happening in which more and more people were getting caught up and getting swept up into this move of God that was representative of how a tidal wave sort of works. 
And ever since then, that picture has, been, has come up again and again. And over the time, we've heard other people say the same sort of picture, and they give the same sort of um, imagery to what God's doing. And a lot of people believe God is, is, is about to send a wave of revival around the world. We've been talking about that, in which people are going to get swept up. But some people aren't going to get swept up. People are gonna get, some people are going to get knocked over. Because if you're standing in a wave, right, if you're standing in the ocean, right, and you're not looking for the wave and you're standing backwards like this and the waves are coming this way, and you're looking at the, at the shore like, hey, everybody, you know what I mean? You're doing that thing. Well, then a wave comes. You ever had a wave hit you from the back? Oh, man. Throws you down, you know, and you're under the water and you think you're going to die for like 15 seconds. You're like, and you stand up and you're like, did anybody notice? Anybody been there? But when you're looking for the wave, right, especially if you're a surfer, and you're looking for the wave, and you're preparing for it, and you're ready for the big wave. Well, then perhaps you catch it, and you get to ride the wave of what God's doing. We aren't really called to make waves all the time as Christians, but we are called to ride them. It's God who makes the waves. It's God who makes the swells. It's God who pours out his spirit and does a work in the world that we can't, um, we can't stop. However, we can be a part of it. We can write it. And we believe these sorts of moves are ushered in when God's people come together and they pray. That's how we position ourselves and ready ourselves for the move of God. It's the people who aren't praying that'll get knocked over. And they'll look up and they'll go, what's with all these weird churches doing all this weird stuff? And they get mad. You ever seen a church get mad at other Christians? It's usually because they aren't praying. So, my friends, are we ready for 24-7 prayer? All right. I want you guys to sign up today um, before you leave. So let me pray, and then we're going to get into some of the things. Lord, we pray for 24-7 prayer that it is truly yours. Um, we're stepping into it as a faith and out of desire and out of a hope for more of you, God. That's it. We want more of you. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Use that prayer room as a holy of holies. Father, that we can step into your presence and we can encounter you. There's something to be said, Father. We know this when people come together and pray. And the fact that you've allowed us to do that in a fresh way over the last year. Lord, we just pray you only accelerate that work now. God, we love you. We trust you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to shift gears. Uh, don't worry. I know how to drive a standard. It's not going to grind too hard, but um, just a few minutes, I want to dig into another story of Jesus. Jesus, of course, uh, is this series we've been in, so elementary kids, if uh, you've not been in here, we've been talking about Jesus, which I'm sure you've been talking about Jesus as well, so we're on the same page, but we did ask some of you kids to share what you knew about Jesus and the Last Supper. We did a little video, and we have a video right now of some of those answers. You can go ahead and hit play on that, but this is our kids' a few days ago, talking about the Lord's Supper. What do you think they did at the Last Supper? I don't know. Yeah. I think they were bored. Yeah. I think they did nothing. It just came off again. Oof. Oof. <laughs> we both said oof. 
Don't be nervous, it'll be fine. Shake it out. Shake it out. Jesus and his friends ate at the Last Supper. Uh, bread. Bread? <laughs> pizza. What, what kind of pizza do you think? Sausage. So, <laughs> do you think they had something to drink with their pizza? Bread. Fish. Bread. Fish. Are they a cake? <laughs> Chinese food. Noodles. Noodles. Like the spicy kind? No, like the good kind. The good kind. They have vegetables in them? Yep. Just a little kind of vegetables from Chinese, but in Oklahoma, he didn't go to Oklahoma, but he's in us now. That's true. Yes, that's true. But he died on the cross for us. Okay, that's true. And he had Chinese food right before. Do you think he, there were chicken in the noodles? No. no. There was broccoli in oh, broccoli, but broccoli means you too. What's your favorite thing about Jesus? Uh, he's cool. He's so cool, right? So cool. What's the coolest thing about him? Uh, he can do anything. Let's go. I feel like we should just do an altar call now or something. Uh, oh, that was good. Got to watch out for the broccoli. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Thank you, kids. That was amazing. Allison Harms, if you're in here, thank you for making that video. Um, as you see on this little table here, I have some bread and uh, wine, so to speak. Uh, it's unfermented wine. We do have the kids in here. Um, this is juice, right? And... Uh, it's in a mason jar because Jesus was prophetic and he knew what would be cool someday. Um, bread and wine, the two things that represent the Lord's Supper, um, the Last Supper, communion. And they may have had other things with their meal. Whenever we say, what did they eat? <laughs> we don't know, but we know they had this. Um, they probably had some other things to go along with it. But bread and wine at a table... Um, is sort of the scene that I want to set. Uh, I want to talk for a few minutes about Jesus and the Last Supper, and I want to talk about as we as we get closer to Easter, um, these last number of weeks, these last few weeks leading up to Easter, kind of these last last moments um, with Jesus and his disciples before his eventual crucifixion and resurrection. But bread and wine on a table, ready for a meal. Um, you know, in our home, we pray before meals. I'm sure a lot of you do that as well. And, and I remember when Grayson was about three years old, he always wanted to be the one to pray. Uh, every time, he would be like, I want to pray. If I was like, I am going to pray, he's like, no, I'm going to pray. I mean, like, violent, you know what I mean? And then we'd say, now everybody hold hands. So we'd hold, <laughs> we'd hold hands. He wouldn't do it, you know what I mean? He wouldn't, he wouldn't stop until we held hands, or start praying, so we held hands, we'd held <laughs> hold hands, and then he'd say this simple prayer. He'd say, welcome to our body, and welcome to Jesus, amen. Sometimes he'd add something like, welcome to Batman, seriously, he'd say stuff like that, or whatever. And I always assumed that he meant, thank you, Jesus, 
for this food, or, or bless this food to our bodies and thank you, Jesus. That's what I was, always assumed he meant because that's what everybody else prayed. Thank you, you know, welcome, or excuse me, bless this food to our body. Thank you, Jesus. But he said, welcome this food, welcome to my body, and welcome to Jesus, which I kind of like the prayer. Like, food, I'm about to eat you. Welcome to my body. <laughs> Get in my belly. <laughs> and then I also kind of liked welcome to Jesus. Like, Jesus, you are welcome here. You're welcome at this table. You're welcome to our home. You're welcome in this house. This is all yours. Welcome. I, I, I kind of like it. Now I can't, get, I can't get Grayson to pray for anything, by the way. I'm getting him in that prayer room, though. I'm just saying. Um, but in Acts 2, we, we see this language. It says that they broke, they broke bread together. They were sitting at a table, and they broke bread together, and there's that scene, right, in Acts 2 that is, of course, after Jesus had given his life and was resurrected. And you saw these people coming around a table. The bread's, for some reason, at the center of this thing. And bread is the central metaphor in the scripture. We see it over and over again. It's this picture. Uh, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And, uh, I mean, it sort of makes sense because we all like bread, right? I mean, who didn't like bread? Um, which, by the way, I don't understand why bread gets such a bad rap in our country now. You know what I'm saying? Like, just saying. It's not the problem. It's not, we blame bread for too much. It's all I mean. But this short phrase, they broke bread, paints a picture for us. You know, a couple weeks ago, Christy and I talked about biblical hospitality, about how people would come around a table, and, and there's this idea of Jesus and his ways of people coming around a table there's always a central metaphor, a central picture that we see in which we see people gathering around food, not only in the culture of Jesus, but in our culture today. It speaks our language that we would come together and we would break bread. But Jesus, before there's this fellowship around the table and around bread for a common meal, there was this bigger picture that he was setting in this, in this moment at near the end of his life, it's the true table of communion in which he says, will you come together and unite with me? Will you unite with me as your, as your Savior, as your, as your Lord? And he united us to him through his body and his blood. And I'm just going to read this, the bread and the wine, the body and the blood. I'm going to read from Luke 22, starting in verse 7. We see the story unfold. It says, then Jesus, or excuse me, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar, probably a mason jar, of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of that house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I, may, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a larger room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. Now, this is believed to be what is known as the upper room, which is what all prayer rooms are really modeled after in terms of a vision. So there you go. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and they said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, 
For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he gave, or he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So being a follower of Jesus in these early days meant that you started a new practice. You would gather around the table and break bread, but at the center of that table was the act of communing with the Father in which you would do in remembrance what, what Jesus had spoken. And so the, the disciples would gather in times like in Acts 2 and beyond, and you'd see throughout Acts they would gather together and they would break bread, yes, for a meal together, but they would first break bread to remember the body of Jesus that was broken for them. And they would take a cup, and they would remember the blood that was spilled, and that they, through the blood of Jesus, had been given access to the Holy of Holies. They had been given access to Jesus and to God himself. This is a beautiful act by Christ. And he does something instrumental in this moment, just so you know. By setting the practice of communion, he sets a table for you and me. So imagine coming into a room and there's a table set for you in which you are welcome at. Jesus actually says all are welcome at his table. He sets a table for every one of us and he says, you are welcome. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take a seat at my table. He says, come to me who all who need more. Come to me. He says, the kingdom of God is near. Believe, repent and believe the good news. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Come to my table. This is the invitation of Jesus throughout the Gospels. And starting in Acts 2, we see the practice of believers coming together around this table. But the act of communing at the Lord's table is this identifying act. It identifies you. It's a declaration. Because when you come to a table now in a church today and you take communion, it's a declaration that says, I'm remembering what Jesus did for me, that he did for all of us. Through the cross, I'm remembering that. But it's also a declaration that as I commune with the bread and the cup, as I consume that, I'm wanting to be consumed by the work of Jesus in my life. That's a declaration of that. It should be. You know, I was seven years old. Um, <laughs> I, was, I went to... Big church one day, not, not kids' church, I was in big church, kind of like some of you are in big church right now, right? I was in big church one day. We didn't go to church a lot growing up in these, this time of my life. I was about seven years old, and, uh, but we were there that day, and, and I remember I was sitting there, and I was doing probably what I did most days. I, I don't know why this memory is so vivid, but I'm sitting there coloring, right, on a piece of paper or maybe a notebook of some sort. You guys ever doodle or color in church? I mean, your last church, right? Um, <clears throat> So I'm, I'm coloring or whatever with the four Crayolas that my mom had stuffed away in her church or her purse or whatever, and I'm, and I'm coloring. And then all of a sudden down the aisle comes this, these shiny plates, you know what I mean, with a little bread on them and then followed by these little mini cups of juice. And I am like, whoa, I showed up on the right day. <laughs> They're having snack in big church. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm kind of making, but I mean, I really was so curious. I had no, I had never seen this. First time I'd ever encountered this happening in church, and I was like, what is happening? They're about to, I mean, you know, 
it's not like this looked like they were, ha- they were having like Ritz with peanut butter or anything, but I was like, it, it was almost like that to me. I was like, I'm about to get some juice, a little cracker. This is great. Well, it starts to come my way. I put my Crayola down. I'm ready to dig in, right? And, and my mom gently leans to me and says, hey, you can, this isn't for you. You can't take this. And I'm like, say what? You know, like I'm, I'm not happy in the moment. So the, the plate passes by, moves on, and, uh, and we get home, and, he, and I had some questions. You better believe I had some questions. Like, why was I not allowed to participate in this mid-church snack, right? And so my parents explained to me that, hey, communion is for the believers, meaning you have to have given your life to Jesus, and once you give your life to Jesus, this is the way you remember, and that's how you identify. With, you know, they told me the whole thing, I guess, and they, you know, and that day, I decided, oh, yeah, I want to say yes to God. I want to say yes to Jesus. But that's not, that's, that's the short story. The long story is I was still confused. And seven years later, when I was 14 years old, is when I gave my life to Christ and truly surrendered my life to him. But that was the first moment in my life that I remember thinking about spiritual things. I remember thinking about um, God. I remember thinking about eternity. And what's interesting is at seven years old, communion is what introduced me to thinking about my spiritual life. These shiny plates coming down an aisle with many juice and many crackers and me having to wonder and me having to consider what is this all about? And I think no matter if you're 7 or 17 or 37, the same question still remains for every one of us. What is this Last Supper thing all about? What does it represent? Why do we even do it? Well, first of all, Jesus asked us to do it. So that's why we do it. But then beyond just the simple because he said so, why we do it is because it's, again, a declaration of identity. Whose are you? Can you come to the table and be able to say, Jesus, I can not only remember what you did, but I can receive what you did. We're three Sundays away from Easter, and uh, like I said, we're, we're charging towards it. But I think in this season, more than any season of the year, we get to ask ourselves questions out of the Last Supper or out of the cross or out of the empty tomb. We not only ask ourselves, do we believe all this, but we also ask ourselves, for some of us in the room, have I, have I received his invitation to come to the table? Have I received that? That's the first consideration we have to make. And today I want to give some the opportunity to give their life to Jesus today to say, yeah, I want to receive the gift of salvation because here I am encountering just a simple truth. Jesus invites us to his table for everyone. But it's also when we come to that table, we're declaring, we're declaring that Jesus is Lord. Parents, I believe this is a great opportunity to talk to your kids. Kids, I believe this is a great opportunity to ask your parents questions. The second thing I think Jesus and the Last Supper helps us consider is those of us who know Jesus. It's like I said, it's a statement of identity. It's a statement of understanding his affection and love for you, that he gave everything for you. Yeah, we're going to remember that. But I believe this is also a moment of gratitude, worship, and surrender. Because he says, I gave everything for you, and it's always, a, 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 it's, there's like a reciprocal question that should come back before you come to the table. Am I giving everything to him? Right? Am I giving everything to him? 
And so today I just want to invite you, uh, do you, is there anything today that you need to surrender? Even as a follower of Jesus, you're just like, you know, I need to surrender. I need to, I need to just, I need, I need to come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to give this to you because I need you. And I confess once again my need for you. In a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity to come to the table, but I want you to consider these two things today, and then I'm done. So whoever's coming to play, you can come and play. And, um, but I want you to consider, first of all, and I made this really short, really simple, but first, do you need to give your life to Jesus today? And then secondly, I want to ask you, are you giving are you giving everything to him? That's your second consideration. Even if you know Jesus, is there anything today that you need to surrender to Jesus once again? So I want to ask you to just bow your heads. I just want to spend some time praying and then helping us consider these two things. We could say so much about what the communion table means, but I believe just this the simple take, simple consideration that he invites everyone to the table. He invites us to commune with him, to be with him. All are welcome. There's just one follow-up question beyond that. All are welcome, but when you take and you consume the body and the blood, it's a declaration of belief. It's a declaration of faith. It's a declaration of worship and surrender to Jesus. Because we're recognizing that it was by his body that he sacrificed himself, and it was by his blood that we were given grace. And so the first consideration is, can you come to the table today and say, I've given my life to Jesus. And I just want to ask right now, I'm going to make this real simple. I know what, 25 years ago or so, I gave my life to Christ. It's the best decision I ever made. And maybe, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never made that clear. Maybe you've never made him the clear Lord of your life. And maybe you've believed, but you've never really fully surrendered your life to Christ. And if you want to be real honest, even today, you're like, you're, you're aware of that. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Well, the Bible that says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. And so today, if you want to do that, if you want to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you already believe that Jesus is who he said he was, well then, I want to invite you to give your life to Christ today. I'm just going to make this real simple. I don't, I don't know if there's anybody in here that needs this or if there's many people that need this. But if you want to give your life to Jesus today, I'm going to count to three, and you can just lift your hand up and say, I, I want to say yes to God today for the first time. And after, when I say three, just lift your hand up, okay? If you want to give your life to Christ and surrender your life to him, would you just lift your hand up as I say one, two, three. Just lift your hand up. That's good. That's good. Well, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, I just want to invite you. Confess Jesus as Lord right now. Just say Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Say, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Just say that out loud. Whisper that. And then say, I believe you are who you said you were. 
I believe who you are who you said you were. And Lord, today I received your gift of salvation. I confess you as Lord. Today I receive your gift of salvation. I confess you as Lord. If you just prayed that, then you can just then we could say you just gave your life to Jesus. So today we want to invite you now to consider before you come to a table what it is that you need to surrender. So Lord, we love you, we trust you, we give you the rest of this morning as we worship, as we commune with you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So like Tim said, we have an opportunity now to come to the table. Um, and as we prepare for that, I was asked to share just a little bit about um, the work of the Lord's Supper in my life, what it has meant to me personally. Um, and so I became a Christian when I was six. Uh, there have been times in my life where I felt like that was super young. Um, but my mind is changing around that for a couple reasons. Uh, the first is that I have three nephews who are all between the ages of one and three. And I am seeing that children have a God-given gift of understanding, um, for better or for worse. <laughs> um, so like Tim said, tell your kids about Jesus. Kids, ask your parents about Jesus. Um, there's, there's something holy in the way that children can understand what that means. Um, and then the second reason is just the way in which I remember the night that I gave my life to Christ. Um, I don't know how much you remember about being six. I remember that I loved the Power Rangers and Aladdin. That's about it. Um, but the night that I gave my life to Christ was different. Um, I don't think this means anything, but I specifically remember what I had for dinner that night. Um, I remember sitting on the couch in the living room with my parents um, as they impressed upon me that they felt like God had given them my name for a reason, that I was created and special and loved. Um, they talked about the basics of salvation, things that I had heard many times before, but just understood in a different way. We prayed a simple prayer, just like we prayed here today, and I went to bed and I felt different, even in some small way. Um, the moment had substance and weight for me. And so this week, as I was thinking about communion, I kept running up against the fact that that has not been my experience with communion. It is always good, it's always special, um, but I don't feel like I have this story to tell about the Lord's Supper in my life. And as I wrestled with that, I continually felt the Lord saying, remember your salvation. That's your communion with me. And that was really reassuring to me this week. Um, it's a good reminder that I cannot, I can't take the act of communion and disassociate it with the moment of my salvation. And that's really good. And so as we remember, as we look back at those verses that Tim read today in Luke, where we see that Jesus gave thanks, he took the bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. The same way he took the cup and said, this is a covenant in my blood that is poured out for you and for many. Anytime that you take of these, drink of these, do it in remembrance of me. And so today, as we prepare ourselves, I invite you to give thanks I love that Jesus gives thanks before breaking the bread. Even in that, he's teaching us. Um, I invite you to remember your salvation. Give thanks for the things that God has done in your life. 
Um, so we're going to have stations here at the front on both sides, in the back, and in the balcony. Um, and so I invite you to take a moment, um, reflect on those things, make your way to the table, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, um, and give thanks for the things that God is doing. So God, we offer up this time to you. We pray that it is pleasing to you. We pray that it is a moment of worship to you. We thank you so much for leaving us with ways to remember what you've done in our lives, what you did on the cross. We offer this to you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at OKC communitychurch.com.